Hello, Trinity Grace Church family and anyone else who may be joining in with us. We are glad you are here. Uh, as you can see, we have uh, changed things up this week. We are suspending our regular Pentecost sermon series uh, to have a conversation this morning in light of uh, recent events in uh, our country and in our city. And um, yeah, the, the, the power of the gospel that we proclaim as a church is that um, through the work of Christ, his death and resurrection, we've been reconciled to God um, and reconciled to one another. And then we have this ministry of reconciliation. Uh, we mentioned a, a bit last week, but the first public miracle of, of Pentecost in Acts 2 is uh, that people are hearing this message of hope, this message of life uh, in their own language, despite their uh, cultural barriers and divisions. Um, the message of life and hope is, is, is uh, spreading over those barriers and bringing people in to family. And uh, as a church family, we want to have uh, an honest conversation this morning about uh, race in our country, uh, uh, racism uh, in, in our own hearts, in our church, and uh, feel like it is the appropriate thing to do, uh, that it, it, it absolutely fits inside of this Pentecost season. And um, so myself, uh, for those of you who may be tuning in, I'm Caleb Clardy. I'm the founding pastor of Trinity Grace Church, uh, Park Slope. And uh, this is uh, my friend, Patrick Boatwright, who's our pastor for students and families. And yeah, I think maybe the first place to go is the why of this conversation. And uh, we had a staff meeting on Tuesday uh, you know, a few days into you know the protests across uh, across the country, and and certainly um, it, here in here in New York, and we were kind of taking the pulse a little bit of where everyone on our team was at, and um, you know some of what Patrick shared was um, yeah important for getting us to this moment. So I'll just I want to kick it over to you, Patrick, and just you share some of what you share with us and where your heart and, and mind and experience has been in the last in the last few days? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, yeah, this, it was inside baseball, I don't think was a <laughs> one of, uh, it was a hard conversation. You know, I think we were in the midst of riots and protests a week after the tragic death of George Floyd. And, you know, honestly, as a black person, um, in a predominantly white space is a, on a pastoral team of a predominantly white church. And I just honestly felt like we had kind of observed, like, man, there's some stuff going down, but we hadn't, like, stopped. And we hadn't talked about it, and we hadn't um, really engaged. And that was disheartening. It was heartbreaking. And, um, you know, to be honest, I... I wrestled because I had a lot of anger, and uh, I think for lots of reasons, um, we can fall asleep in these cultural times, or we can just be kind of, you know, rubberneckers and drive past this wreck and go like, oh wow, that's, that's pretty bad. Uh, and not realize that like the people we love are in that wreck like the, like that would make us want to stop and so uh, I had to express that and I came into that conversation with a little apprehension you know like man 
how much Malcolm, how much Martin am I going to give in this moment? Uh, but I will say I walked out encouraged because there was listening. Um, there was a small version of reconciliation as we kind of realized, like, hey, yeah, we got to we got to we got to enter this conversation. And I was encouraged ultimately um, by the challenge being taken to engage and, and not just be bystanders. And uh, I'm glad we're here. Yeah. I think one of the pieces of learning, I guess, that happened for me in that conversation, and it's not like it's a lesson that's the first time you know any of us have ever experienced it, but um, that realizing there's a gap between my intentions or my inner monologue or even what I see as like a step of solidarity or a step of action and realizing um, just because that may make me feel better on some level, it may not translate to my you know, black or brown neighbor or my friend uh, in exactly the same way. And um, so there was an, a discomfort you know, in realizing, oh, my action or inaction had caused pain to my friend who's, you know, we're, we're meant to be uh, on the same team. And um, obviously our experiences are gonna be wildly different, but um, I really was sort of caught up and, re and realized like, oh, I don't need to go back through the record of the last couple of days and say, well, I wanted this to, to mean this and this to mean this and this to mean this. I just needed to listen to what you were, what you were sharing and the pain that was in it and acknowledge that it doesn't really matter uh, you know, so much what my, uh, what my excuses would be or what my you know, answer would be or response that I just needed to hear the pain of my, my friend. You know, like I, uh, I feel like, Man, I've actually learned that lesson in my marriage quite a bit. That like, um, it doesn't matter so much, you know, uh, what what way I was particularly well intentioned in this moment. If my if my spouse felt you know unloved or unseen or uncared for, then then I have to you know I have to hear that experience. And um, yeah, I think I think that's a good starting point because we have to realize. Though we may both want reconciliation, we want to march forward towards that. And as we sit in this cultural moment of, of racism on the forefront of our societal conversation, we have to realize that we, we're starting on this journey from two different places, yeah. right? Uh, and, and for you know, a lot of my white brothers and sisters, it's you know, the last week has been kind of an awakening or, like a, or a shattering of some like safe conceptions of the country that we live in. Yeah. Um, but, for, but for people of color, for black people, like the last week wasn't new. Like we didn't just go like, oh snap, <laughs> you know, there's racism here. Like our, the tears that we shed were for George Floyd, but also were Philando Castile, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, go back, uh, Emmett Till. Like, like, like these aren't like new tears for us. Uh, and these aren't new problems. And so we've been at the party, uh, and I, I know sometimes it kind of feels like, man, where y'all been? <laughs> like you kind of you kind of showing up at the party, but you know, I, I'd say rather later than never. And so now that we're here, right, and now that it's on the conversation, and now that we're talking, um, then we can start doing the work, even though that work is different. I re I really feel that I feel a level of sorrow. Um, you know, we you hear about tokenism when it comes to a, a church staff or or a community or something. I think there's like a tokenism sometimes in gestures as well. That you know, I have to be honest about. It's like, 
oh my gosh, you know, this feels like a tipping point. It feels like everything's happening so fast. I think um, there was such an undeniability uh, about the video of uh, Ahmaud Aubrey jogging in this neighborhood. There was such an undeniability, even the symbol of, uh, you know, George Floyd having an officer's knee on his neck. You know, there was just like um, such an undeniability about that. And so um, then it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, I may be late, but I wanna, I wanna do something. I wanna, I wanna respond, I wanna show I care. I wanna show that I'm, you know, with my black and brown neighbors and friends. And, um, and yet like, just realizing like the tokenism of a gesture here or a gesture there is like, um, I guess I didn't realize like how insulting that could be, you know, for it to be uh, an isolated thing here or isolated thing there. And now it's like, oh yeah, of course. Um, but that this is not a, um, yeah, these are not new, new tears. This is not a, a new struggle. And to be quite frank, like hearing the rebuke, like why did it take this much? You know, why did it take these videos, you know, for us to be believed, for us to be heard, or for action to be this urgent, you know? Yeah, one thing I'd, I'd say that too is, uh, and as we kind of talk about our personal experiences, that it's easy to kind of, we can kind of make racism like a black person problem, you know, like this is the thing that we face and like, man, and now the, it can feel like the call is, hey, white people care about this thing that impacts black people. But I think that's, a rea that's a, an ideology that kind of has to be um, broken down and debunked and put away with because racism, like any form of oppression, doesn't just deform the oppressed, but also the oppressor. So like racism isn't just a black person problem, it's a white person problem, it's an everybody problem. That's the, you know, the ethos behind that, you know, Dr. King quote of injustice everywhere is you know, affects justice everywhere. Like yeah. because this is our this is a live reality and the way um, that it deforms us um, can be insidious uh, for people who may not live the overt reality. So I'm interested you know, we come from the same uh, great state of South Carolina, Ooh, uh, two the sons of the South. Carolina, let that be known. <laughs> uh, and I'm interested, you know, you're a little older than I am, but what has been your relationship and experience with racism um, in your life? Like, how, how has it cropped up? How have you seen it? How have you touched it? Yeah, I grew up... Uh in uh, an environment that I didn't even know to call racist, you know, um, in, in so many ways. And, um, uh, you know, whether it was like, uh, you know, the joke of a friend at a, at a barbecue that just sort of like, uh, you know, as a kid, you don't even know to realize that that's in inappropriate or, um, you know, the, the, uh, the horror of it. And you know, carry that through. Like um, I was having a conversation with a dear friend from from home just a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, was talking about. I, I think I said the, the term systemic or institutional racism, and and she said, um, I don't believe in institutional racism. I, you know, basically like we've 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 come far, you know, a long way. We've changed laws, and and the, and and look, the opportunities are there, and. I was just like, 
I remember getting so angry and basically like saying some really disrespectful stuff and leaving the conversation and coming back and 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 apologizing because uh, you know I had uh, you know my reaction, but I was like, you lived through segregation. You lived through. Uh, uh, you live through this, this institutional racism and, and, and how, how can you say that by, uh, by, changing, you know, by changing the law that we've, you know, we, we've changed, uh, changed the culture, changed people's perceptions. You, you live here, you look around. Um, and then I also realized like alongside that there's something that I see happen from time to time which is like um, somebody learns something or somebody becomes aware of something or wakes up to something and there's the power and the beauty of that, that, that new awareness, but then there's a quick turning around to look at people who are right behind you. Maybe they're a day behind that realization or maybe they're two years behind that realization and to say to them, like, like immediately just be like, I can't believe you don't understand this. I can't believe you don't, you don't get it yet. Like, uh, like an anger, like you learned this yesterday and now you're like disdaining people who haven't, haven't come there yet. But I, I had no idea um, you know, what, what it meant to live with, like, white privilege. Um, you know, that, that uh, wasn't something that I grew up with a concept of. And um, I'll just share one really quick story because it's come to my mind um, in, light of these, in light of these most recent videos. Um, it's one of the, like, stories that we tell in my family that's, like, gets a laugh, like, around the Thanksgiving table because when I was 16, uh, the cops brought me home. Um, to my sister's 11-year-old uh, sleepover birthday party. So all of her friends are there, and there's a bunch of funny parts of the story that um, I'll spare you some of the details. But basically, like, I'm 16, uh, after a football game, go out with friends. We basically take a parent's car, even though we're not supposed to be driving, uh, go to this neighborhood where we're going to uh, meet up with these ladies. And uh, I go, and I'm, I'm the one who's going to knock on the, on the door. I'm hiding in the bushes of this house. I knock on the window. Um, a light comes on later over in the house. I don't, the girls haven't come out. They're supposed to be getting us liquor from the parents' liquor cabinet. I run across the street. I hide in the bushes again. Eventually, I'm there for like 15 minutes, and I think my friends are coming back around the corner with the car. So I sprint up to the car, and it's the cops. And uh, they jump out of the car and put my hands, and they pat me down and like, and put me in the back of the car. And uh, I realized, okay, someone's called the police because they think I'm a, you know, a possible in intruder. And uh, I've been hiding in different bushes in front of people's houses. And on the drive uh, out of the neighborhood, I start talking with the police officers. They haven't cuffed me. And uh, the guy went to my same high school. We knew the same football coach. By the end, we're kind of like joking around in the car. He drives me back home instead of taking me to the, to the, to the station. And basically, I was like more afraid of my dad than I was of them, which is, is really telling. And the funny parts of the story is my dad coming downstairs in his underwear, my sister and all her friends congregating at the door as the cops, in a sense, turned me over to my parents. And I, uh, in years of telling that story, hadn't thought in, in so many ways like how different it would have been. Even when I talk with my family about that now, it's like, hey, do you realize how many, how many close calls I got to get out of, get free from. And it feels like small service or cold comfort to admit that privilege, um, but there is some level of awakening and awareness that has to take place to say like, hey, this experience is not, not at all the same, you know? Uh, 
just based on our skin color. And so now what do I do with that? It's not enough to say like, oh, I recognize that I, ha I had it. Um, um, yeah, I, that story resonates with me because and what you were saying about that kind of view of racism. Um, I heard recently a, a quote that I've completely stolen as my own. Uh, but it was that. That's your pastoral right. Yes, I think exactly. You're allowed Absolutely. To do that. It's call it inspiration. Uh, but that racism is not a problem to be fixed, but an injury to be tended. Uh, and, and the heart behind it is like, I think if we have a problem, there's a definite concrete solution. And so we can feel like once we've arrived at that solution, then we no longer have that problem. So it's like, hey, slavery done. Racism over. Jim Crow done. Racism over. We got a black president. Racism over. Yeah. Right. Um, when instead, if you you know uh, our fellow pastor Josh Staten like just had an ACL injury you know a few months yeah. ago and he's had to rehab that knee right. So in that moment, there's initial trauma. There's surgery that has to be done to set things in the heel. And though time may pass, and that knee. From the outside, you see the scars, but it looks fine, right? It's still something that's got to be guarded, how I treat it and how I handle it. Uh, and I think about that in my own life because my experience with racism hasn't been that of necessarily my ancestors. Like uh, I'm a descendant of one of the first uh, South Carolina assemblymen, Alfred Rush, uh, and he was assassinated coming home from church one Saturday, right? Um, for the color of his skin in the reconstruction era. So uh, I haven't, uh, racism for me hasn't been overt uh, in, in having someone like call me out of my name per se or uh, threaten me physical violence. Um, but the insidious nature of racism and how I have encountered it in my life has really been in um, these small microaggressions or uh, the you go in the store and how they look at you or, you know, my wife and I were, were recently, um, we were down at a, a family home for a visit and, and we're out walking and it's like a, a gated co community and, uh, you know, these, these two like white women kind of like see us walking and they're like, hey, do you, do you guys live here? You know, and it was kind of like, Y yes, yeah, we can be here. Like, there's a code. We didn't just, you know, walk in here. And she's like, well, what, what, what unit? What number do you live in, right? Uh, and Catherine, my wife, who's white, like, she's just like, oh, that, that's kind of weird. And I'm like, you don't think it's a coincidence she asked us that? Or, you know, being 16 and in church and um, my not having a date for prom and having a friend who was white, and there wasn't even romantic interest. And her saying, hey, I'll go with you to prom. Yeah. And her dad, um, a person that like I high-five in the hallways and we're cool with and we joke around, and her having to come back a week later and be like, no, I can't actually go because my dad says I can't go with you, right? Um, and so sometimes it is overt in like, hey, I don't believe you should be allowed to do this or you can't. Um, date my daughter or, you know, you need to limit how you hang out with that person. But oftentimes it's in these ways where like someone can listen. I'm sure people listen to that story you just told and they're like, dude, how do you know that was because of your race? Like, how is that considered a privilege? Uh, and as a black person on the other side, it's like, yeah, that's clear as day. But, <laughs> but then you can just feel crazy. You can feel crazy because people are like, 
how do you know? Like you don't, and you don't know because who can like fully see into the heart of a person? But uh, it's like I can take an educated guess. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that um, when I think about like what is limited engagement. Um, in my own life, and this is something to be confessed and repented of, or what has limited my um, you know, action in, in the past. I think there's just like, you know, we hear a lot about it now, like this whataboutism, you know, even a story like that where it's like, well, it could have been about this, and what about this other statistic, or what about you know, um, this reality? And um, again, in the age of the internet, attributing quotes, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but like um, this idea that like, Privilege doesn't mean your life hasn't been hard. It just means your skin color is not one of the primary reasons that has made it hard. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's something that, like there's, okay, let's talk about you know this racist policy or this racist situation that seems to be reoccurring over and over again. And as soon as uh, you know, you're trying to have that conversation, it's like, well, what about this, you know, this thing over here that somehow mitigates uh, you know, or, or takes us off of that, that particular topic? And um, I, 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 I don't want to make that same mistake of, of turning around to someone who hasn't uh, you know, had the same realization as me and, 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 and shaming them for not, not being as far because I know like, there's so much uh, work still to be done. There, there's so much learning and, and listening. I think that's been, um, I think, one of the good things over the last couple of, of, of weeks and days is, is you know, my white brothers and sisters saying, like, hey, we need to just be listening and, and letting other people take the lead and directing our, our, our learning. Um, you've been on our, our staff for, for some time now. Uh, you've been in Trinity Grace. Uh, you know, world and ecosystem and, and, and congregation and life. Um, what's your experience of this moment right now uh, and, and, you know, related to your, your experience in the past and our church's conversation and action on this? If, you know, I know you said long overdue, you know, even as we were preparing for this, and, and I, I say, yeah, I say yes to that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um... It's a good question. I, I think, you know, we talk about racism, and I just, to preface what I want to say, I, I want to put in the context that sometimes we, when we think about racism, especially coming from the South, we think about like the, the three-tooth, you know, dude in, in the overalls with a shotgun yelling down the street. But racism can be high class and highbrow, you know? Racism uh, can wear a three-piece suit yeah. and wingtip shoes, or sometimes, racism uh, can be nice, right? Growing up in the South, one thing I always heard um, when I would hang around with my white friends was, man, you're like the whitest black person I know, right? And the, the ideology behind that is uh, this view that, this, this denigrated view that I have of black people as, you know, not articulate, as you know, uh, dangerous, um, as only into you know rap music. Like country music has its roots in black culture. <laughs> like, like you know, like we are not some like cartoon characters that you see. And um, and so I think that like you can be in well-intentioned spaces like this, like even being on staff. What was hard even about the conversation we had last Tuesday. Uh, was that I know you as people and, and, and no one on the staff or no one in this church has ever like 
treated me untoward, right? Or treated me as less than. Like, I don't feel like I'm viewed that way. I think what, what happens is um, you talk about systemic racism, it's just in everything. And because it's in everything, it's in nothing, right? Yeah. Um, because, again, racism, it's a concept, not a condition. Like, like these, are, these are things that we've, like, built. And what we're really talking about is power, yeah. right? Because in our country, one of the major ways that we delineate power is skin color. There's education, there's finances, uh, there are other different ways. One of the major ways is skin color. And so I, I think like when we're talking about that power dynamic, uh, I think how that can express is in like how are voices elevated, right? Is it enough that we're just kind of here? But are we really allowed uh, to speak into the direction? Um, are we? Are these? Are we allowed to not be peaceable, <laughs> yeah. right? And to be angry and to be like, "This is messed up," yeah. right? Or I don't like this. Or, or and uh, and I think um, you know, this is kind of what Dr. King wrote about in Letter from Birmingham Jail about how do we as people and frankly how to like you know, the well-intentioned um, seek the true justice of reconciliation and not just like, um, and not just like a false piece of order or like, hey, look, we got like five black people over here and, and you know, they're not raising much of a ruckus, so we should be fine. But it's like, last thing I'll say is this, I think the reason why it's not just a black person problem um, is because God in his good wisdom has placed an expression of himself in each and every person. Like we interact with God differently, yeah. right? But it's the same God. right? And so like the reason why we need a fuller expression, the reason why we need more diversity in the seats and more diversity in speaking and the things that we do is because it gives us a fuller picture of God. Yeah. And I, for one, don't want a half measure. I don't want to be in an all-black church. I don't want to be in an all-white church. Like, I want the full, give me the fullness of who God is. And to do that, I, I need people that are not, not like me. Yeah. Um, and I need them, um, I don't need them just to be around me. I need them to be in me, beside me, yeah. for me, with me, um, teaching me. So, Amen. Um, I want to ask this question, um, you know, like, if you're... If I'm speaking to, uh, you know, a white a white Christian friend or or even myself, and you know, I hear a sentiment like, "Well, I have black friends," or "I'm I'm not a racist because you know I have black friends," or "I care about black people," or or, or whatever, sure. um, you know, no matter how well intentioned that is, like, um, I can't even remember where I saw the the post, but this is a timeline of American history from like the 1590s until today, and you see how much of that timeline you know, slavery occupies, and then after that, how much of the timeline segregation occupies, and then obviously Jim Crow, and you get up, you know, right to this current moment, and just realizing it's not enough to say, I'm not a, I'm not a racist, like, uh, in that I, and that I, um, or, or just like what you just said, I believe every person is made in the image of God and, and carries the Imago Dei no matter what their skin color. That's an important thing to say and affirm and believe in the depth of your heart, but, um, maybe that's not enough, or certainly that's not enough when it comes to, to saying, like, 
oh, I'm not a racist or somehow I'm exempt from this problem. Can you yeah. speak to that a little bit about? Yeah, I mean, we think you have to realize like, yeah, what you're referring to like 1619 is the start of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, you look at like the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and 1968, which, which kind of ends um, formally uh, things like, you know, housing segregation or discrimination or um, job uh, discrimination, right? And so if you're, you're talking about like 1968, that's 60 years, right? right? Not even, right? Yeah, like, like 60 years out of, since 1619, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, a new phenomenon yeah, in a young country. Yeah, so to think that we're just like, cool, got that behind us. Like, we're fooling ourselves. And, and because it's so insidious, literally, the blood is in the water. It's, it's, you know, the very White House that houses our executive part was built by slaves, right? Like, it's in everything, right? And so it's, and so like, as a black person, I've had to do the work of unpacking my own internalized racism, yeah. right? Like you see, you can watch the videos, you can go on YouTube and see the, the, um, the videos of black kids um, not wanting the black doll, right? At a young age, not wanting the black doll, wanting, wanting the white doll, because when we, when we look at television, that's what we see, right? Uh, when you watch television, it's, it's the, the blonde cheerleader that's the beautiful girl. Right, the ingenue, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, um, I just watched a movie, uh, Waves, and I thought it was like a really good movie, and someone sent me a screenshot that I hadn't even like realized it, but there's, the movie kind of focuses on this high school kid, but there's this one shot of these high school kids going to prom, and... Uh, Easy to just miss it, but when you actually pause it and look at the frame, in the shot, uh, all the, the, the white girls and Hispanic girls have dates, and the only people that don't have dates are these two black girls that are kind of shoved in as fillers, and they don't have dates, <laughs> right? And it's such a weird choice to, right. to like, man, I don't even think it was that intentional, and I think that's what I'm saying. It's just kind of, you know, Jeremiah 29 says like, our heart is deceitfully wicked. Above all things, who can know it, yeah. right? Uh, I've never met a person who ever thought they was racist. I think there are very few people in this country who would say like, I'm racist, right? Um, and yet, and still, um, we got people in the streets like saying like, we've got issues, yeah. right? Uh, and so where's it coming from? And I think, um, well-intentioned or not, that's why we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the depths of our brokenness, the ways in which we've been deformed, yeah. um, so that he can make us a new reconciled people. Yeah. Gosh, that's, uh, that's powerful. I, I, I think that's so true. Nobody thinks they are a racist. You know, I think, um, you know, we have this little soundbite of Trump you know, uh, famously saying, I'm the least racist person you've ever met, you know, like, um, and, you know, just the, the, <laughs> the problems with that is, as a statement on so many levels, but um, also, to be honest, like you're saying with this, you know, search me, oh God, know my heart, try me and see, see what's going on in me. 
How many times have we whispered something like that? You know, not those exact words, but in our own hearts and minds and say, it's not me. Like, I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not a part of, of, the, of, the, of the problem. And um, I listened to a conversation yesterday that was, uh, yeah, uh, encouraging, inspiring, challenging. And Drew Jackson, the pastor of Hope, uh, Hope uh, uh, East Village, was saying, you know, there's a... Um, there's a way that systemic racism in America it, it needs essentially to be viewed as a, as a spiritual stronghold and a spiritual power and uh, so you know, insidiously wrapped around our, 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 our social structures and our power structures that it's not going to go away easily, that there, this is a long road. But you know, he, he referenced the story where Jesus sends the disciples out and they're casting out demons and seeing spiritual deliverance take place. But then they run into some uh, you know, demonic forces and they come back and say, we couldn't cast this out. And Jesus says, um, you know, some only come out by prayer and fasting. And, and Drew was saying, um, you know, th- this in America is, is that. You know, this is not going to just you know, come out because we had a few tweets about it or even because we marched for a few weeks or, uh, or, or prayed or, or, or had a conversation like this, that this is a long-haul journey. It's going to require deep, holistic, holistic work. It's going to require um, prayer and fasting, going to require endurance, going to require um, you know, a, a work of gospel deliverance. And um, I wonder if you'd speak to that for just a little bit, just... Um, you know, as we, I guess, probably need to move towards a close in just yeah. a little bit, but um, the heart of the gospel is uh, reconciliation. Yeah. And um, Drew said something else, you know, like, uh, as we long for a renewal or awakening or revival, something, you know, you know, there's, you, you hear prayer for all the time. And he said, I hope there wouldn't be an awakening or revival that just is about individual souls being saved um, as if their ticket is stamped for heaven, you know, and, and escaping this world, but that they're, they're not alongside it, a movement of renewal, a movement of justice, a movement of, of the Imago Dei being lifted up and, and, and these you know, power structures being broken down. And I just thought um, it was like cold water in the face. How many times have I thought about awakening a revival just in the term of private, private spiritual experience? Yeah. And I'd love to hear you just share a little bit about the implications of the heart of our gospel. Yeah. I mean, God created this earth not to throw it away, yeah. right? So New Jerusalem comes down to earth. Yeah. Like, this is where we're going to be. Yeah. So if we're, if, we're, if we're in a hurry just to leave, well, sorry to disappoint, this is where we're going to be. And so we've got to do the work of renewal, Yeah. right? Like, when you look in the scriptures, like, Justice is so integral to the heart of God. It's one of the few things in Scripture that that he he substitutes in the place of himself. Like when you look in Amos 5 and in verse 4, it says, seek him and live, right? And you go down to like verse 22 and he's like, uh, seek him, seek to do good and not evil and live, right? So he puts it in there. What does Micah 6 say? Like, hey, Love mercy, do justice, mishpat, that, that, that legal term of, of, of bringing people together, of, of righting wrongs, right? Uh, walk humbly with your God. That's it. Like, like, you look at Matthew 7, and you see uh, Jesus gives this warning for these people that come to him in the day, and they say, hey, Jesus, did we not cast out demons 
do we not um, prophesy in your name? Did we not uh, do many signs and wonders? And I would have to say that I think it would take a lot of guts to just boldface lie to Jesus. So I don't <laughs> like, I think in these stories, like in this example, these people are telling the truth. Like they did what we would consider a Holy Spirit works, right? And, and they're coming to Jesus. And what does he say? He doesn't, he doesn't refute their claims, but he says, I don't know you, you workers of lawlessness, because they hadn't become people of justice, right? And I think it is, it is not just beholden, it's not a suggestion, it is legitimately a command. Like right after that passage, Jesus is walking and there's a, a fig tree that doesn't have any fruit and he curses it and it withers, right? And I think, he, I think that's placing it to show us is how God doesn't abide on those things that don't produce fruit. And the fruit um, for the church is justice, uh, not just in not just in like racial reconciliation, but wherever there are people on the underside of power, right? Because again, we're talking about race, we're talking about power, right? And how power is 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 meted out, how power is used, right? And power in and of itself is not a bad thing, right? Um, so it's not about uh, it's not about uh, obtaining or use, obtaining power, but it's about how we use our power. And that's the kenosis of, of Philippians 2, like that this mind in Christ would be within us, that we would not consider the power that's been given to us, because you didn't choose any of the, the societal or cultural power that you have, right? Right, And you shouldn't be ashamed of it, right? The, the call is not to walk around with guilt and shame because like the cop put you out of that car. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't wish that that cop had taken you to jail. I wish that if it was me, I also would have been just taken home. Yeah. Right, you know? And so power then has to be um, something that we learn in humility um, because of um, our, our faith in the Holy Spirit that will provide for us something that we can give up, you know, something that we don't have to, 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 to chain ourselves to. So we become people of justice when we don't allow ourselves to, to be chained to the power that we've been given. And then when we, when we find that humility, we now become Holy Spirit and able to become a reconciled people. No Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, but one in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the power of seeing how many times in the New Testament this is actually what's being talked about, what's being described is like, um, you know, the tension in this community or the, this entire letter was being written in order to uh, make sure that everyone who is receiving this message of gospel hope can come to the same table. Like um, over and over again, this reconciling work is being done in the pages of the New Testament. And I think um, there's a lens you can read the, the Bible through that's about just your personal experience and your personal salvation and not see, oh my gosh, over and over again, there's this communal, collective, uh, reconciling reality, the Jew and the Gentile, the, you know, the slave and the free from all, 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 all over the map being brought together and that picture of the new Jerusalem that you mentioned, like the thing that we, that we say so inspiringly is every tribe and tongue and nation yeah. is there singing and celebrating and, and, and reveling in the reality of the, the kingdom of God coming. Um, we have to read our scriptures that way. If we know our Bibles, this is, this is uh, an essential part of, of the gospel and its, and its outworking. Yeah. Now, I, I think as we start to wrap up and, and look at like going forward, um, I'm interested, we're both fathers. I 
just finished my first year. Yeah. Uh, and I know like just the other day, um, was walking alongside you and your two boys yeah. uh, as we were, we were leaving a, a, a prayer march. What has that experience been like as you start to walk with them through this? And, and, and how has these conversations, this cultural moment, like, what, what's that look like for you as a father? Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought up shame earlier. Um, I heard Jordan Rice from Renaissance uh, Church uh, mentioning that as an essential part of the pastoral work. And, you know, he said, um, it's pretty hard to confess that your, you know, family fought for the Confederacy or that your family, you know, down the, the line somewhere was, was slave owners, you know, without carrying an immense amount of shame for that. And, um, and I think there is, uh, you know, a level of shame knowing that, like, there's, there's, like, ugly racism in my, in my history, in my family's history, and um, a beautiful part, uh, I think, of, of our, my boys and my, my, my daughter as well growing up in, in New York is uh, an opportunity for, um, uh, to be further down the line, to, to grow up in this beautiful multicultural city and, and to have a little taste of what every tribe and tongue and nation looks like in your school or in your church or in, you know, on, on the block um, is a beautiful thing. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting experience. Like we had been quarantined for 10 weeks. And so like really careful about it too. And like, so I think it weighed a lot to my older sons to say, the one thing we're gonna break quarantine for is to go march with our church family and like seeing 80 churches and for them to see thousands of believers coming together to, to raise their voices and to pray to God and to, to say we want, we want justice, you know, uh, was a beautiful thing. And, and we're like, hey, we know this is a risk and we're willing to take it. Um, and then to leave that, to leave that march and, and come home and it was like, oh wait, what do we do now? And so we put on, we put on Selma and we're, we're watching and we're like, this is what we're, we're trying to be in the stream of, in the, in the, in, you know, we're downstream from these, these, you know, freedom fighters and, and look at what they're going through and, um, you know, and, and looking at the names that are mentioned in that, in that story and say, all right, now what are the names that we're talking about right now? And, um, something interesting happened, like, Several times my oldest son was like, hold on, pause it. What? I can't even like get no framework for what we were seeing. Just like, and on one level, like that's beautiful because, you know, his, his school is, is very diverse. His, his friend group is very diverse. And, and, uh, and so it's like impossible for him to fathom. On another level, it's like, oh, like I'm imp implicated here. Like I had need to do some more work on uh, talking about our nation's history, talking about these power structures because, um, you know, if, if he's holding it in his head, it's just like, this is, this is unbelievable or unfathomable. Like, oh, actually, you know, there's a, there's a lot we still need to talk about. There's a beauty to the fact that he, there's an innocence there yeah. of not having seen it in the same way or grown up with it in the same way. And um, I want to raise my sons to be people of, uh, my daughter to be a people of peace, people of the gospel, people of reconciliation. And I think um, that, I can't do it on my own, 100%. Like, we have to, we have to do this in community. I, I, I need them to be talking to you. I need them to be learning from, um, from our whole broad church community. So, um, yeah. it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I, I really agree. I think as a, the father of a black son, um, you know, one of the things that 
that weighs on you is uh, the reality that one day I have to willfully and intentionally rob him of his innocence. so that he can be wise. Hmm. And to have to do that, um, you know, my mind goes to Tamir Rice. He was 12 and he was playing with the toy by himself. And within 20 seconds of those cop cars rolling up, he was dead. And the saddest and as heartbreaking as that is, I think about his friends who are 10, 11, mm. and 12 and have already had to bury their friend. Mm. To have to carry that type of grief, uh, I, what that does to a person. And uh, I don't think you, you know, like you should feel guilt for the, for the innocence that your children have, because I don't, I hate that your children have to like, <laughs> that innocence has to be stripped, and, and I want my kid to have that innocence for as long as possible. But uh, I think the reality is, um, is that if we're gonna leave them in a better place, if they're gonna take on the mantle, um, then we are gonna have to take them by the hand and walk them into some dark places but I think we, we do it, and why I take comfort is that though we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we walk under the comfort and the guidance of Jesus Christ who gives us hope mm. and gives us a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and, and, and hopefully that walk just becomes a shorter and shorter walk um, for, for their children and their children. Yeah. Amen, man. Um... So, I think this conversation is, is such an important one for our church. Um, I wish that it felt um, a little more like we were in the middle instead of closer to the starting line on it. Um, I think there is confession and repentance necessary uh, for us as individuals and as, as a church family in this moment. Um, but when we think about going forward, um, you know, not congratulating ourselves because we, you know, went went to a, you know went to a march or we had a, had a conversation, um, but trying to move towards some some ongoing, enduring, concrete steps of change for our, our church. I'm interested if you have any kind of closing thoughts on that. Um, I do want to say we're going to have a, a Zoom gathering immediately after this conversation where we. Um, have some space for, for your questions um, and to process. Um, Patrick's going to be there, our, our Deacon Jack, Jackie Griffin and, uh, and Elder Jason Losey, uh, at least, um, will, will be on that call. Um, so uh, that's an immediate next step, but, but I'd love to hear any thoughts you have, Patrick. Yeah, going forward. Uh, well, I think this is a part where it's, it's important to, to say that, uh, again, going back to while we want and desire the same thing and we're on the same journey, we're starting from two different destination points, right? Uh, and so for like um, 
the picture that, that always leads me forward is, you know, Isaiah 65, it says, you know, the wolf will, will, will eat with the lion and the lion, or the wolf will eat with the lamb and the lion will learn to eat hay. Uh, and that picture of reconcilia- reconciliation of like the wolf and the lion together with the lamb uh, for those in power, um, that's going to look like learning to find new forms of sustenance, right? Um, that's going to look like um, confession and repentance of, of, of not wanting to yield that power or even admit that we have that power. But for the lamb, it's a different journey. Yeah. Uh, and for you know, our black and brown people within our congregation or as members of the body of Christ, our work um, is going to be that of, uh, well, I think the shared work where we all should start is lament, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, God, break our hearts with things that break your heart. Get pissed off about, about the injustice and where we're at. So we start with lament. But then for, I think, for um, our, our people of color, it's going to be about um, finding, finding rest, right? And, yeah. and that perseverance that Romans 5 speaks of, that you know, the, our trials produce perseverance and character and character hope. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have to find that strengthening in the spirit to start moving us towards the path of forgiveness, um, which is forgiveness is a term we use like love, really loosey-goosey. So uh, yeah. I, I, I would need a whole more time than we have left to, to unpack that. But in short, we have to start that, that, that path um, of forgiveness to, to be able to, to be the lamb and to lay beside our, our brothers. And, um, and then the last thing I would say is I think we have to realize that like uh, we are walking along this journey together, but we're not really going to be able, like as a black person, um, I want to support your journey. I want to speak into your journey. Um, but I can't be in charge of like guiding your journey. And I think like um, for our black members and stuff, it, it's, you know, like, you know, this week, I think a lot of black people watching this will probably uh, uh, know the feeling, but like every white person I've ever known right. uh, has, has reached out this week and like texted and I've like gotten apologies for thoughts they had like 10 years ago. Uh, and they've like, you know, they've, you know, just... And I, I, again, I, I, I don't say that to mock. I, I, I am, my heart is moved that their hearts have been moved. Yeah. Um, but I say that to say that, like, I can't meter out, like, um, forgiveness or justice. It can't be my job to have to, like, get myself to where I need to go and walk yeah. us forward. But we, we can talk together. We can do these things together. And, um, and I'm going to extend you grace, you know, like, when you fall or come up short and you're going to have to extend me grace when I get pissed off and, yeah. <laughs> and, and like, yeah. you know, start to yell and throw things. Uh, and together, I think uh, the, the spirit then can, can move us into the reality yeah. we want. Yeah. I think I'd like to end on that kind of as a challenge for our church. Um, we did a survey a little over a year ago and uh, one of the most painful parts of the reality of that survey was people describing the church they wanted to be a part of and then also describing that they just had no margin uh, or energy to participate in making it happen, basically. Um, and I just want to challenge that. Like, If you say this is the type of church I want to be a part of, 
but basically you intend that the staff or leadership or, or someone else is going to be about making that happen, then, uh, then, then what you're saying is absolutely just words. And um, we have to move to the place to say, if you want this, you know, like if you want to see this change, you're going to have to commit to personally being that change. And um, it's not enough to just survive in New York City and, and pay your rent. As challenging as that is, just doing that's going to cause a lot of hardship in your life. But it is not enough just to do that and say, uh, I, I made it. I made it in New York City an another year. Um, if we wanted to do this work together, uh, we're going to have to 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 all be to all be in, quite frankly. And uh, to know that it's not one conversation or one march or one moment, but it is a long journey together. And um, I want to say, as uh, as you know, a, a leader in this church, as a founding pastor of this church, like uh, we want to stumble forward, and we are going to stumble. Uh, but we want to stumble forward, and we want to keep going. And if we fall, we want to get up. I think what Patrick said, we're going to need that grace for one another. We're going to need uh, to choose our guides carefully. We're going to need to do a lot of listening. Um, but I believe this is essential to the heart of the gospel, <laughs> this, this message of reconciliation. And that's what I want to leave you with. Um, this is essential to the heart of the gospel. The meal we share every, every week is a, 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 you know, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus bringing us together with God, bringing us together with one another. And you look even in the instructions of that meal given out, and it's like if you're ignoring your brother and sister as you come to this meal, then you're taking it in vain. And, um, and so, yeah, a lot of listening, a lot of confession, a lot of repentance, a lot of uh, slow, slow, uh, slow action and, resp you know, and, and response. Um, but we are a people of reconciliation. And uh, even if we're late uh, to the conversation on, on some real uh, levels and late to action on some, some real levels, we want to stumble forward. So um, thank you for listening today. Thank you, Patrick, so much for uh, the person you are, um, the heart that you have, the uh, way you have uh, been a challenger, but also been such a support is, um, yeah, it's hard to put into words, but I appreciate it and um, uh, look forward to continuing this in, in, the, in the calls afterwards and in the days to come. But God bless you all uh, and thank you for, for tuning in.